Hey, this is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we're preaching. Okay, so you go first, because my astonished and thinking are all mixed together, so. Mine too. (laughs) So, but I'll go first. After you. Very good, very good. Well, um, I have been astonished by and thinking about uh, the fact that this month is the 400th anniversary of the beginning of the Atlantic uh, slave trade and been watching all kinds of videos and documentaries and reading articles and um, of course you know as an African-American I have all kinds of emotions um, Mm -hmm. uh, at this time you know from uh, the pain and the horror of what um, you know my ancestors experienced uh, you know, thinking about uh, that, well, they called it a castle. It was really a dungeon in Accra, um, Ghana, where slaves were kept before being uh, placed on the boat. And, you know, the men who fought back were placed in a room and left to die. Um, uh, it was dark. I mean, now when you go visit it, there are doors and windows and they run electricity, but then it was just dark. And I just... Think about the psychic um, trauma yeah. of all of that. Uh, you know, the women were placed in a room and uh, abused and raped, and um, uh, just um, uh, thinking about the pain of of that experience. Uh, also, my own life story. You know, I was born in an all black town in Mississippi, founded by uh, freed slaves, Mound. Bayou, Mississippi, and just thinking about, you know, my ancestors probably came here um, through the port of New Orleans. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of them may have been left in the Caribbean. Um, I've been watching videos about uh, the president of Ghana who has announced that that this year is the the year of return for African Americans uh, or, or for all Africans in the diaspora. And so many of us are returning, and uh, I see these videos, these uh, uh, vlogs that people have posted, lots of tears, lots of pain, but also a sense of, of triumph. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a, a gate, the gate of no return, mm-hmm. and so many are saying, we I'm have returned, yeah. we've come back. Yeah. And so that's been, that's been really powerful and deeply emotional, um, from heartbreak to a sense of triumph. Um, also, you know, I can't help but think about uh, the role of the church. And so, you know, in this dungeon, uh, there, was a, there was a church on top of it. It's um, just, I mean, can we just yeah, that, stop isn't that astonishing? Just at that? I mean, yeah. just that idea that there was no conflict, yeah. no... No problem in somebody's head to build a church on top of a dungeon. Yeah. Like... Where human beings were being kept, mistreated, prepared to be transported as property. I mean, and it's just unfathomable how 
the gospel was used as a tool. I mean, whatever. I mean, just Romans 1, right? Like the gospel is power, and so power is neutral. And so that power was used to do great evil based on people's self-interest and intentional ignorance. Yeah, and I'm grateful to know that, you know, the gospel was already on the continent before the slave trade. um, And that even in this country, on this continent, even as the gospel was being abused, misused, there was this flourishing, right? You could preach slaves obey your masters, but we, we grabbed hold of the, the story of Moses, of the mm-hmm. Exodus. It's like, no, the God of Israel wants to set us free. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that's a, a triumph as well that I, I, I boast in, right? The, the mm-hmm. triumph of, of my people who've come through so much and also the, the triumph of, of Jesus in the midst of my people to bring them through. Um, and so at the same time, you know, for me, this is, it's a really hard thing to, um, to read and to think about the historic accounts of what actually happened. But at the same time, I'm like, but we are here, <laughs> we are here. And, uh, um, well, and I would also add, we still need to deal with the residue, right, of, of slavery, and I think for many of us, myself included, there is still some um, post-traumatic stress mm-hmm. uh, that we we carry. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just think I've been thinking uh, a lot as well, and I have been watching the backlash mm-hmm. among the white American community against the project, and I really. You know, one of the most influential thinkers in my life right now is Brian Stevenson and just the work he does with the Equal Justice Initiative and and his fundamental premise Mm. um, that, you know, justice is unequal in this country, obviously intentionally, because America has never had any kind of truth and reconciliation process that that white Americans have never had to look Mm. at the reality of what the slave trade was um, and what and and the trauma the generational trauma Mm. that continues to be played out and just the magnitude of the evil that I mean that white Americans benefited from and perpetrated Mm. and you know didn't care and and, you know in that most white americans i was reading an article talking about like we we have learned about it from our history books which tended to focus on telling the story of abolitionists Mm -hmm. or or talking about you know slaves being workers and Mm -hmm. you know so so we you know in children it wasn't thought appropriate to teach children about what was actually happening to enslaved people and so we, we don't have any sense. Like our form, our, our understanding of what slavery is is based on, more likely to be based on Porgy and Bess mm. than anything mm. else. Yeah. And yeah. so we have this, we want to cling to this image that slavery wasn't that bad. Yeah, a very um, sanitized version. Right, or, yeah. or that like most slaves were taken care of and mm-hmm. were treated humanely mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. like slave owners didn't really want to hurt their slaves because they were very valuable property. And yeah. I mean, just this, yeah. all of this stuff. And, you know, because we can't look at the magnitude of the horror, we can't, we can't, we can't atone for it. We can't, because I think one thing that is interesting for me as a white person and a white Christian is 
you know, there are times when I just really despair um, of being able to be the beloved community Mm. because so many white people, myself included, um, are are so unwilling Mm. to sit with the pain of and the guilt and Mm. the shame of what our ancestors did. Um, and regardless, like, I don't know if my ancestors owned slaves, but I mean, it doesn't matter, right? Like it just, (laughs) and so I think that because we, we can't do that, we want to have relationships with people of color as though none of that happened or none of it matters anymore, which means, you know, we can't be in relationship with people of color unless they're happy and they love us Mm -hmm. and they tell us Mm -hmm. that we're okay. Mm And, and we don't want to recognize the real trauma and continued injustice that people suffer. I mean, like, how mad would you be if your grandfather's house was taken by the city? Mm-hmm. Just taken and no compensation. Like, would you right. be over it? Like, if that's still, I mean, you know, so just, I, I think that's really hard. And I very much understand so many people of color being like, look, I'm not interested in being in relationship with people when I can't authentically talk about what I'm wrestling with. I can't talk about my pain. I can't talk about my anger. Like if if all you want is some like shucking and jiving happy version that none of this matters anymore and it's all onward and upward and to the right, then like we can't be an authentic relationship. And I really despair of that and I really understand People just not wanting, not wanting to do, go through the emotional trauma of having to justify their reality to white people, and I still am very much compelled by the gospel mm-hmm. that real, authentic reconciliation and and true, you know, kinship is not only possible, but you know, but is the reality in the kingdom of God now. Yes, and that history is moving in that direction. And I just, you know, I just really, um, you know, it's just interesting because I grew up not understanding what had happened. Mm. Um, literally, I grew up in Kentucky and I literally came away with the idea that Kentucky fought on the, quote, right side of the war, right? Mm. Which is not even accurate. And and I definitely grew up in love with the idea of diversity and in love with the idea of the melting pot and in love with the idea of America being this beacon to the world of all different kinds of people being able to live together and honor one another and not discriminate with one another against one another. And obviously that was a myth. Um, but it's just interesting to me now that, so many white people in authority are not even interested in pretending that that was ever the truth or yeah. ever aspirational anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. what does it mean? On the one hand, like, it's great to be able to tell the truth and say it was never that way before. But when we start saying, like, okay, now we want to change the inscription on the Statue of Liberty and now we just want to say America is a country for white people and we don't want other people in this country anymore. Like, what does it mean when, when, people no longer want that to be the reality. Like I'm thinking about like I was told lies, but the lies that I was told were aspirational. Right. And what happens Mm -hmm. now when the lies that we're telling are just, well, white people were only the ever people who ever had any real value anyway. And we just want to get back to a place where white people are in charge. And, you know, I don't know. Well, the way it's being put now is that we're losing Western culture. Correct. Which means white culture. 
And I'll tell and you that, what. And Western culture has done everything that is good for the world. And what Western culture does not mean is building a, a, a church on top of a dungeon. Yeah. And ra- I mean, you know, yeah. so it's just this yeah. idea that we have these these myths. And, and I think fundamentally it's because, you know, white people and white Christians in particular, and this is what I've been thinking about, have been have been fed this really inaccurate theological narrative that they're loved by God because they're basically good people. Mm. And so then when an honest look at history confronts them with the reality that that's not true, (laughs) people fall apart because they feel like what's at stake is not only their current understanding of who they are, but their Mm. eternal destiny. They feel like, well, if this is really who my ancestors were or who I, you know, then God can't love me because I'm not a good person. Mm -hmm. And this idea that, you know, which is foundational to the gospel is that, you know, God loved and redeemed Saul, who was the kind of person who would build a church over a dungeon, right? right? I mean, so this idea that like, yeah, you you can be a, an evil person convinced mm-hmm. of your own false goodness and mm-hmm. God doesn't want to throw you away like garbage. God wants to bring you through repentance to yeah. a new reality. But for so many white people, because culture was set up to say who you are is good and mm-hmm. is the ideal mm-hmm. and is the default and is what we're aspiring to now when we're uncovering the reality that that never was so. In yeah. fact... It was the opposite mm-hmm. of the gospel truth. People just can't handle it. Yeah. And yeah. and it's a really, you know, it's just hard to even know where to begin. Well, I think that's one reason why. Another reason why um, the kind of communities you and I lead are so important, right? Because we're, we're in these spaces where we're saying, look, none of us are good people. We are all sinners. And in Christ, we are redeemed. So now, in, in, in that environment, let's look at some really hard things, not only about our personal history, but our national history, about world history. Knowing that when we see our depravity at an even deeper level, we know that there is both a God and a community that will not affirm our goodness, mm-hmm. but will give us grace, love, and acceptance and mercy, even as we confront the ugly reality. Well, and being able to say that we are more than the worst things Absolutely. we and our ancestors have ever done. But I mean, the challenge is, I think, to be able to say, which is truth that you know the ground is level at the foot of the cross yeah. and that none of us are saved by our own righteousness but that doesn't mean that the evil that was done doesn't matter oh, right absolutely. And, yes. and i know yes. you're not saying yeah. that but yeah. i mean i know that that's kind of the challenge mm-hmm. for a lot of white people is to be able to say like okay but we're all saved by grace yeah. so everybody should be over yeah. what happened 400 years it ago it matters and has current ripple effects. Right, and we need to be able to say both things, right? Absolutely. We need to be able to say, mm-hmm. let's look at what happened, let's mm-hmm. look at the depravity, let's look at how the evil manifested itself in mm-hmm. suffering in ways that really mattered yeah. to God, yeah. right? Um, let, let's be able to look at that and also be able to say, we are none of us good. Yeah. But but acknowledging that none of us are intrinsically good yeah. doesn't mean that the evil we do doesn't matter, right? And and so being and we were talking about this on the walk earlier that, you know, this this really helpful um, 
thread in a lot of work of, um, I think, primarily black activists who are talking about racism and anti-racism and saying like people, especially especially white people, need to be able to divorce the category of good mm. and bad from racist and not racist or anti-racist and be able to say like, you know, and, and so I, I understand what that means, right? That someone can be a can can be trying to be a good person and still be perpetuating systems that yes. oppress and dehumanize people. So I, I get it. And that it's helpful for people to say, we can talk about racism and your goodness or badness isn't at stake. It's about recognizing it and then moving away. And, and. also <laughs> it's problematic because a motivation for people in dismantling systems that benefit them Mm -hmm. is a sincere motivation to want to be a good person, right? Like there's, if you, I mean, I understand that it's true that someone who tries to be good can perpetuate racism. And I understand it's helpful to be able to say, you can look at times when you've said or done racist things and you can turn around and walk a different way and not freak out because we're not telling you you're a bad person. But the danger is white people hear, okay, good, Racism isn't a matter of being a good person or being a bad person. Therefore, it doesn't matter if I perpetuate these systems or dismantle them. I'm just like, it's a very nuanced conversation. Um, And frankly, like, you know, I I think one thing that I'm hearing and really respecting from a lot of black thinkers and activists and people of color is, you know, we no longer want to do the emotional work of white people. I mean, amen, hallelujah, more than fair enough Um, and so, so we, and so I hear a lot of, um, activists saying, I'm no longer thinking about how I need to say what's true in a way that's palatable to white ears. And again, fair enough. Um, but that means that, you know, white people need to be able to come alongside and and walk with one another and be able to say, you know, this, this this truth is really uncomfortable. And the fact that we're so uncomfortable isn't a sign that it isn't true Mm -hmm. and isn't a sign that it shouldn't be said. And that's, and that's just a really challenging place. And to say part of you wanting to follow after Jesus and magnifying the Lord is if you want to be a good person, then be a person Mm -hmm. who is willing to acknowledge that a truth that makes you feel uncomfortable about yourself or your nation or your country mm. is still true. Yeah. And the thing that motivates me and a lot of people is to say, I, I do want to follow after Jesus. I do want to be on the side of, you know, on the side of God mm-hmm. in what is, when it comes to slavery, clearly a duality mm. to me. So anyway, obviously we're all thinking about a lot of things. Yeah. And and those are, you know, just huge issues. And so often, you know, when I talk to people in our community about it, uh, by our community, I mean our church, there is this desire to want to deal with it, fix it, move on. It's like, no, this is we're we're going to be doing this our whole lives. It's, it's, and it's, and it's okay. It's right. okay. And so, you know, we're trying to create space um, that allows people to um, have a misstep in what they say. And, and we're, okay, we're not going to kick you out of the community, but we do need to talk about it. Right. Um, right. And so, and, but that's just, that's hard work, which is, again, 
one reason why it's really, really difficult to create, uh, to lead uh, multi-ethnic communities because there's a, always this temptation to say, okay, we're just not going to deal with that. Right. We're and just going to be yeah. together and not deal with those issues because when we start to deal with those issues, when we start to look at them, they're so painful. For some of us. Well, well, that, I mean, no, for I, some of us dealing with those issues. They're painful in a different way. Well, right. But right? like for some people in the community, for people of color, to deal with those issues is very cathartic and very healing to be able to say, I'm yes. naming your pain and yes. it, whatever. But I mean, one of the reasons it's so difficult is because it's difficult for powerful white people mm-hmm. to be in a community yeah. and really, you know, for the first time, have to wrestle with the idea that I might not be seen as an individual, but mm-hmm. as part of a group, right? And to which I feel like black people are like, yeah, aren't you glad I don't have a gun and the legal authority yeah. to kill you, right? So I, I mean, I just we were talking on the walk about how there are a lot of mega churches who do achieve a level of diversity just in their worship gatherings on a Sunday morning. But one of the ways they do that is by never talking yeah. about anything that makes white people uncomfortable. And and I mean, we were talking about this at the Grove on Sunday to say like if our community is going to be a healthy and holy multi-ethnic community, then it has to be a place where we're united in following after the way of Jesus, which is, you know, which is being people who will lay down their lives Mm -hmm. and suffer for one another. And, you know, I don't know, the connection for me was twofold. Um, We had a, we had a funeral on Sunday afternoon, which involved a lot of, um, a, a charter member of the congregation and, um, who had remained a member of the congregation and to celebrate her life, um, lots of former members of the church returned as they should have. Um, and some of those folks had not been, had had moved away or had not been members of the church for 30 years, but some of those folks were folks who had left six or seven years ago when, when the church went through transformation. And, um, and so that was a, I mean, that was a painful, day for me because I really cared about this church member who had died and and felt like I had done, you know, not a perfect, but a good job of pastoring her, even though she was a shut in the whole time I was, um, and, and, and the family very clearly said to me, we want the funeral to happen at this church, but we do not want you to pastor. We're bringing in our own pastor. And that Hmm. was on a, on a personal level, just, I mean, it was hard. And I, I was, I mean, it's okay. Uh, if it's okay, but you know, it was just you are well. Mature. I mean, it just. I mean, it, it, it's okay. Mm. I mean, that moment was for that family, and and that you know, but I mean, it was just interesting the contrast between the community that I was in in the afternoon, where I'm trying to show up and serve, and there's just still a lot of pain, um, and a lot of anger, um, and a lot of you know rejection. Um, and it's also, all, you know, 99.9% homogenous white mm. community, right? And then um, then in the morning, we're gathering for worship, and it's Blessing of the Backpacks, which is always a big Sunday for us. And just the church was so full of people. And, you know, I guess the thing that I'm astonished by, and I really, I mean, I've... Um, in light of this conversation we're having about the 400 years and the fact that there's been no truth and reconciliation and the fact that the gospel has been often explicitly used as a weapon Mm. to dehumanize and, you know, people of color and justify, you know, like I, I 
cannot even articulate how I feel about the generosity and unmerited favor that that I receive mm. from members of this community that would invite me to be their pastor, right? Mm-hmm. And just, I'm just blown away by the fact that this community exists at all and then that I'm invited in to play the role that I get to play to serve in the way that I get to serve there. And just sort of just the contrast between the incredible generosity of this community that, I mean, I mean, we were saying before, like the only thing this community could possibly have in common is a commitment to the way of Jesus, yeah, right? And to yeah. like pouring out our lives to serve one another, to be committed to suffering with one another, to be committed to believing mm-hmm. that we're all coming alive in Christ and we're yeah. all striving to be about the ways of the kingdom and just the love and acceptance and generosity I experienced in that community. And then just how, again, it's not a big deal, but like just how swiftly, firmly, and completely I was rejected by this other community because mm. it was based on, um, you know, a common culture yes, and an affirmation that this way of life is, you know, this middle-class way of life is the way that God intends everyone mm. to live. And anyone who doesn't mm. live this way, you know, that's their fault and they should fix it. And anything that threatens this way of living is, you know, out. It just was a really powerful contrast. And a friend of mine, Kim Kyle, who you know, mm-hmm. and it was interesting, like, you know, gearing up for this day and she walks to my office and she was like, I brought you a birthday gift because my birthday was last week. Um, 44, I'm in my Obama year. Actually, it was two weeks ago at this point. Anyway, um, which, um, but she's like, here's this gift. So I'm getting ready to like meet all these people. And she's like, so the, the book is called, it's by this woman, Sharon Miller, and it's called Nice, Why We Love to Be Liked and How God Calls Us to More, right? And it's just so, I know wow. that, you know, sort of my greatest weakness that I think God is transforming into one of my strengths, but my greatest weakness is I really want everyone to like me. I really do. And so in some ways that can be a strength in ministry because you don't write people off, right? Mm -hmm. Like you just really, but it can be a huge liability when, when you're called to do something to be faithful to the gospel that creates discomfort Mm -hmm. in the people you're pastoring Mm -hmm. And they don't like you anymore. It's really hard when sometimes, you know, naively going into ministry, I thought, and it was an unquestioned assumption, but I just really believed that if I loved Jesus and was a good pastor, a really good pastor, if I worked Mm -hmm. really hard, that everyone would love me. And so to discover along the way that actually that's not true and that sometimes to get everyone to love you you have to leave Jesus That's right, at the and be curb. unfaithful. Right. And so anyway, this so this whole book is about niceness as as an idol wow. and as an alternative to faithfulness. And and, and she's anyway, I, I will um read this passage. Um, she says, As I mentioned earlier, when I was growing up, niceness became a part of my faith. I assumed that being a good Christian meant being a nice, likable person. So I conflated the two. I strove to be liked, whether it pointed people to Jesus or not. I made the mistake that author Randy Alcorn describes this way. Quote, we've been schooled that it's inappropriate to say anything negative. Being a good witness once meant faithfully representing Christ, even when it meant being unpopular. Now it means making people like us. We've redefined Christ-like 
to mean nice. Mm. And that's, I think, like the connecting thread between all of this is to say, you know, it's not nice. It, you know, it, it's not comfortable for many people, but especially many white people to look at the truth of this country to the truth of our own lives, mm-hmm. how we have benefited directly. You know, my grandfather received benefits mm-hmm. from the GI Bill. Mm-hmm. Your grandfather maybe did not. <laughs> like yeah, I, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and that mattered. I mean, yeah. that made a huge mm-hmm, difference mm-hmm. that I'm still benefiting from, that my children are still benefiting from. And that's not, you know, if you point that out to me, that doesn't make me feel good. And if I think that being Christian is being nice, and then I say, well, you just said something that makes me feel bad, so that's not you must not be faithful to Jesus. Like, this is a huge problem. And, you know, this is the thing, like, in the gospel, I mean, Jesus often said things that were true and that ultimately were loving and he cared about people, but they, but he pissed them off because it was a truth they didn't want to hear. And Jesus did not, if he had been nice, he wouldn't have been crucified. And in our current cultural moment, when you bring up race and racism, you're accused of being the racist. Correct. I mean, it's right. this big thing. Like doing a racist act isn't doesn't mean you're racist because you can't know my heart. But talking about talking racism about yes. does mean that yes. you're making everything about race. Yes. And you know, and then the alternative is, and she makes a good point. You know, I think sometimes we think like, okay, so I'm not going to be nice anymore, and then we just say like, okay, well, I'm going to do whatever I feel like doing, and I'm going to say whatever I feel like saying, and I'm not going to worry about what anybody thinks or how it affects other people. And that's not true. Right. I mean, that's not the gospel mm-hmm. either. I mean, so but to really being able to say that, you know, my my highest virtue is to be loving mm-hmm. and to speak truth and truth in a way not necessarily that benefits me, mm-hmm. but that glorify that points to Jesus, right? So it points to Jesus to say, to call a truth a truth and a lie a lie. And it points to Jesus to say what happened in um, Ghana, what happened in the dungeon was an abomination before the Lord. And I mean, that points to Jesus, even though it makes people uncomfortable because it's the truth. And to say like, oh, that didn't matter. Or some owners of plantations were really nice. Mm This does not point to Jesus because it makes it seem as though God was okay with slavery or with the dehumanization of those created in the image of God. And that's a lie. Mm -hmm. And anyway, so that is what I've been astonished by and what I've been thinking about as well. So what are you preaching about? I am still in Philippians, believe it or not. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I this... know, surprise. I know, you're totally surprised. But wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know, I know. No, 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 no. You don't know. So this <laughs> Sunday is what day? It's the first Sunday in... It's the first Sunday in September. Wait, wait, wait. So, so you, this, you're wrapping it up this week, right? Because you were going to finish it at the end of August, right? Is did I right? did I say August mm-hmm. or September? Mm. <laughs> okay. Anyway, <laughs> you're... you're um, you're in Philippians. But we are beginning chapter three, believe it or not. <laughs> chapter three of <laughs> Tell the Non-Baptists at Home. Okay, three, four. Okay. Um, well, and uh, the, the text is very interesting. When uh, do I win the bet? Well, you you are probably going to win by the end of the month because, listen, I, just, I, I sit into September. This is the beginning of September. We'll probably do four, three or four sermons in chapter three, three or four in chapter four. And so it's over by the end of September, unless, okay. you know. Okay. Excellent. Yeah, I know. Well, it's... your friendship is the real prize. <laughs> wow. 
Wow. So it's fine. Anyway, you are in Philippians this yes, Sunday. Yes, Philippians 3, where Paul says, um, you know, all the things I used to count as gain, uh, I now yeah. count as loss. You know, I was yeah. an, a Hebrew of Hebrew, the tribe of Benjamin, as to the law of Pharisee, but now... Because of righteousness in Christ, I count all of that as garbage. And um, this is what came to my mind yesterday. Um, you know, I was thinking about you know, this, the, the, this word counting or consider occurs mm-hmm. several times in the text. And uh, how easy it is to trick a young child with counting. You know, would you like this, this one old paper wrinkly dollar or five shiny pennies, pennies yeah. right? And they're going to choose the five pennies. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they have at least enough knowledge to understand that five is greater than one. But they don't right. know the value. As you say, they understand quantity, but they don't yes. understand value. And so that's what Paul is trying mm-hmm. to get us to see in terms of our own righteousness, that we can work, we can be it. Uh, part of a certain group or culture, and we can have a certain kind of life, but it's nothing compared to the righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus. Right, and it's the parable of the great pearl, right? Yes. And I yes. think what I think often we don't understand, and we were talking, we were talking about this on the mm-hmm. walk, is that you know when we start taking the gospel seriously, those of us who who really have been winning under the systems as they are set up, like it, it really feels like a a loss, right? Mm-hmm. It really feels mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, I, there are many things that I really enjoy about my life that I'm no longer, you know, I'm, uh, it's going to change yeah. and I like my life yeah. as it is. Right. Yeah. And that's, you know, the first shall be last and the last shall be first mm-hmm. because it's, if you're losing, it's mm-hmm. easy to say, mm-hmm. I'm going to chuck this and trade it for a different kind of life, but it, it's harder to do if you think what you currently have has lots of value, which I mean, was hard for Paul. Yeah. He yeah. thought that the level of, you know, elite, spiritual status that he had achieved under the false system was mm-hmm. worth great value. And I think sometimes in the preaching moment, we we really hammer through to people like, well, you just got to let it go and you just got to suffer and you just got to give it up now for what you'll get later. But what I don't think that we help people understand is what you're, you, no matter what your life looks like through the lens of the culture, if you're trading it for Jesus, then you are trading up. <laughs> like and you, you are get something now. Now that's better now. Yes. Right. And I think that's what's just such a hard thing is we yes. make people we've bought into this lie mm-hmm. that like it's better by and by. Mm-hmm. And and so we've taught people like just come to church every week and confess your sins and you know God'll just be patient with you and then when you die you can go to heaven anyway. And what we don't realize is we're cheating ourselves because this new way of life that we're invited to is better. Mm-hmm. It's better and this life that we're trying so desperately to hold on to it's not actually good it's not and well what we're saying on sunday is that your joy the joy that you experience from day to day is in large measure determined by how you count righteousness in christ or your own righteousness because we're defining joy this year as the gladness of soul that comes from knowing you have this right relationship with God through Jesus. God God is not angry with you. God accepts you. Um, And and because you have this relationship through Jesus, you know, you you are certain that in spite of whatever negative circumstances you're in, you, you can at some point 
expect good from God because well, you have this relationship. Well, and I also just think that what you have is an ability to receive the revelation of God in a way that you don't, so that you, so that you choose things that don't look good in the eyes of the world, but right. you know that they are mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. So, so you choose to give rather than receive because, you know, you choose to say, well, this choice, you know, this action might look risky, but I know that it's righteous. Mm-hmm. And I know at the end of the day, I mean, like, I just think that's like when we were looking at the wisdom literature, what we were trying to say to people is this isn't about like, do this and you earn whatever, but it yes. is about saying like, God is telling you, I made creation and this is the way it works. It is a better life. This is a better life. So I think it's not, you know, it's not like, well, I'd be afraid of going to hell if I lived in the other way. And at least this way I have peace and knowing that I'm going to go to heaven when I die. It's about saying no right now, here and now. I mean, it's just what you were saying when we were talking on the walk about people returning home to Ghana and saying, I'm staying. Because, yes. I mean, tell that story. Well, right? yeah, I, I've been watching these videos on YouTube where people, you know, in in America, they are PhDs, bankers, whatever. They have a great life in terms of material wealth. And they and think... And status. And status, yes, and status. And they think they're going to Ghana to visit and they end up staying and they leave their life in this country and... Of course, they have less in Ghana, but they are happier. There's more joy. It's a it's a different life. They're saying, you know, I'm I'm not burdened by the, uh, you know, constantly thinking about race and racism. It's just a different life. And materially, again, materially, materially, there's less, but it is a better life. It is it's the good life, uh, right. Truly, and I just think that that is what people are saying is. I think that's what Jesus is saying is the kingdom of God is here. It's now that you can have this abundant life with me now. And so all these things that you think you're giving up are, you're actually letting go of and Mm -hmm. you're being invited into, you know, abundance Mm -hmm. now. And that, Mm -hmm. I mean, just this, I, well, anyway, we could go on and on, but I, (laughs) I, so what are you preaching? So we're starting a new sermon series on um, the art of neighboring in September. And so we're going to start with the good Samaritan. Um, which is, we were saying before, um, obviously you have to preach who is my neighbor mm-hmm. if you're good, you know, and it's just the lens through which you look at everything. But the, the challenge for me of preaching the Good Samaritan is like preaching the dry bones or preaching the resurrection. Like people know it. Mm-hmm. Um, some of what they know about it is not true. And sometimes familiarity can just like cheapen and soften Mm -hmm. and dull Mm -hmm. you know the power of the revelation and so getting people to hear it again um is is a huge challenge and just you know i think a lot of times when when we come to the pulpit we have the privilege of knowing things that people other people don't know Mm -hmm. just because we have the privilege that this is our job and we can go to the library Mm -hmm. and read all this it's not we're not smarter Mm -hmm. we just have space Mm -hmm. to become experts in certain things and so a lot of times when you're preaching you can just kind of skate by on like giving people some new information and they will perceive more that you know the text will mean something to them that it Mm -hmm. didn't mean before Mm -hmm. and that can be enough Mm -hmm. but a text like the good samaritan you can't do that because Mm -hmm. people they know it. Yeah. They know the message. Sometimes they feel like they know it so well that it no longer... I mean, we're just kind of obsessed with new mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. this cultural mm-hmm. moment. And so it's hard to go back and recover something that people are like, yeah, 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 I got it. Yeah, so you're and, really wanting them to hear it 
again, in a way that has impact, power, um, surprise. Because uh, I think when Jesus told it the first time, you know, the Levite and others who passed by the man uh, left on the side of the road, then when he gets to the Samaritan and what he did, right. they would have been, you know, shocked by that. Well, and again, it was a great moment of Jesus not being nice, right? Yeah. Like he basically yeah. said these lifestyles that you mm-hmm. honor are actually corrupt and empty. Mm-hmm. And this other, you know, um, ethnicity that yeah. you, you know, villainize yeah. and dehumanize that, you know, there's honor there. So it, it's Jesus destroying false assumptions that would have been really offensive yeah. for people. When I preached it before, the last time I preached it, um, I, I, you know, made this huge connection between Samaritans in, in that cultural moment and the Muslim community in mm. our cultural moment and then preach the whole thing, calling it the good Muslim and just try to get us to, to hear sure. and to mm-hmm. know that this was true sure. and to know anyway, mm-hmm. but I, um, so anyway, but that's not, you know, thinking about what does it mean to get serious about being a good neighbor mm. when, when Jesus defines neighbor in that way. Um, and I think I just want to talk about the fact that a lot of times, um, we, the, the, thought that comes to me is is no coincidences and a lot of times we have an opportunity we have an encounter with someone or with a situation and we 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 walk by and one of the reasons we justify it is we think like well you know i can't you know this person that i know um is about to lose their house um and i i I could help but I can't help everybody, so that's not my place, right? I mean, you know, it's just we have this idea yeah. of like believing, like just that there are things that are. Re- and I'm not a like woo woo, every single thing that happens, whatever. But I mean, I do feel like we just need to have, you know, there's that that's um, that statement. I don't need to research where it comes to exactly, but you know, the idea of the do justice, love, you know, love kindness walk humbly with your god yeah, and you, six, right and you can't do the whole work but the fact that you can't do the whole work doesn't excuse you from doing your part of it right yes. and i think that sometimes we come in contact with like one person who can't whatever like one person who's caught in student debt and can't get back to school and we're like well we can't help everybody so i'm not helping right. this person because it wouldn't right. be fair to help this person right. if i can't help everybody right. you know we just we don't do the good that we could do because we can't do all the good. Or, you know, I was, I was reading an article, it's really interesting, somebody talking about the difference between doing short-term mission and then, like, going and living in a community. Mm. And they were saying, you know, one of the things that's so attractive about short-term mission is you can show up for a week, you can do these very discreet tasks, you can, like, knock them out of the park, and then you can leave being like, I did all the things I was called to do. I met all of my responsibilities for that week, and then I can go mm-hmm. back. But if you move into a community, mm-hmm. then you're going to constantly be confronting times when you are able um, to love someone in a holy and healthy way that really feels good to everyone involved. Yes. But lots of times when you, yes. A, can't, or B, sometimes you could, and you just don't because you're a jerk, and yeah. we're jerks sometimes. <laughs> like if you're, if you're constantly immersed in a way of life, then you don't get to be the hero mm-hmm. anymore. Only mm-hmm. Jesus gets to be the hero. And so I think just that idea of recognizing, you know, that neighboring means taking seriously that the people we encounter yeah. are our neighbors, not in general, but in specificity. I don't know. I'm well, doing something it, with that. I mean, it really sounds like what I just heard you say, um, that you want to confront this 
this either or thinking that if I can't help everybody, then I won't help anybody. Or if I help this person, then, then 17 other people are going to come, you know, and I hear that kind of thinking a lot in the church that, I mean, because it's in the culture, right? Like I could, I could do this one thing, Mm -hmm. but if I do this one thing, then you know, I might set up an expectation and then I might not be able to eat there. I mean, it's better just not to do the one thing because I, because I'll prevent it's fine. You know, I just want to say a lot of times we just, we solve problems we don't even have yet, or we don't do things because we can't be certain how it's going to end up. Talk ourselves Um, out of doing good. Right. I mean, anyway, so I want to, but being good for one another. I mean, I just think that that's, what's interesting, especially as we're trying to have all these, I think, good conversations about, you know, having a savior complex and especially having a white savior complex and especially, you know, but, but if that means, I mean, Jesus very clearly said the Samaritan was a good neighbor because Mm -hmm. he was a blessing to that vulnerable person, right? Like he just did good for that Mm. person and that matters. And I think sometimes, you know, we can, you know, we can rationalize ourselves right out of Absolutely. Giving and being a blessing and, you know, anyway. mm-hmm. so I will study the text. and I think it's going to be fantastic. Yeah. Well, it's going to be Labor Day weekend, <laughs> so we'll see. <laughs> well, thank you for listening, if you still are, to this very long podcast. Um, if you want to check out our churches, um, Yolando is pastoring at Derrida Presbyterian Church, and you can Google it and be led to their website. And... Um, you can check out The Grove at thegrovecharlotte.org. And you can hear all of Yolando's sermons, and I really recommend it, on the Podbean website. Just search for Derida Church, um, and you can find The Grove sermons at our podcast on iTunes called um, The Grove Charlotte. So we will talk to you next week. Bye.